Friday in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Wolf. Oh, we got one for you that we've been talking about for a long time because we had a Blu-ray that just got released. Uh, who was that? Was that Kino? Was that Shout Select? Mm, no, I want to say no. It was it's smaller. Uh, it was yeah. It's not Mill Creek, but it's uh, no, 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 no. It was one of the smaller ones, like like uh, Severin, like Severin, one of those types. Yeah, I'm gonna. What's the one that starts with an E? Gosh darn it! What's the name of that fucking thing? I'm gonna get this right. The one they did the black, they did that Black Sunday one. Remember? Yep. I'm gonna look it up because I'm fucking lazy. <laughs> I am too. Hold on. Now that Black Sunday's with Kino, but it was a different one. Not that Black Sunday, the Robert Shaw one. Yep. Imprint. Imprint. It was uh, that was an imprint. It was an imprint release. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, there you have it. Yes, I mean it's funny because I think I was uh, I, it all, I think I was going to get it, and I think maybe it came out like the week I ended up finally leaving to come to Montana. That might be about right because it we it was announced quite a while. It was part ago. of their remember there was part of their like you know hey there's four films and then yeah we, you know it was the big imprint give, win win all these films win these four films right. You heard us like raving about about Paramount Plus recently, and guess where this movie is at. <laughs> Bang, Paramount Boom. Plus. And by the way, we you heard us recently barking about their shitty search system on the app. It works good now. I it because you used to be able to, when you went to go type in the words, it would they wouldn't even show up in the search window. Now it works properly. So there you go. Let it ride from Joe Pickett, which is a really weird thing in his filmography. He did lots of television, of course. He's most notable for before he did Let It Ride for doing Michael Jackson's two previous videos from the bad album. Which are, you know, what you think about it, he probably had more people have probably seen those two videos and have seen all of his movies combined, I would think. I'm going to say, you know what else he's known for probably more than uh, either one of his movies is um, for being Vigo in Ghostbusters 2. Yes, this is something I, I, I try to tell people about. All you have to do is like look at the, his, his IMDb <laughs> picture and when you see it, you're like, there's no, there's no argument about it. <laughs> oh no, man. Come on. If that's not Joe Pickett, I'll eat my hat. All he did was send him down to wardrobe, put this on, <laughs> get out there, Joe. So there he is. <laughs> so there you go. So this this is actually a screenplay that was a, adapted from a Jay Cronley novel. And Jay Cronley had an interesting, nice little run too. He had he did a he wrote several uh, novels, and and three of those novels became feature films: Quick Change, Funny Farm, and this movie. What's funny is they, they came out. I kind of love all three of these movies. They came out three years in a row. Yep. It was it's pretty crazy. But this one, it was all like, I said, Nancy Dowd was the was the, the writer, the, the adaptation. But when you watch the movie, she's actually credited as Ernest Morton. Now, Nancy, she took a lot of pseudonyms when it came to her writing credits. She wrote the original Slapshot, as well as a bunch of other movies that probably wouldn't have been made if people knew that she was a woman. Yeah. Wasn't she one of the writers in Coming Home too? The, uh, the yeah. John, uh, the John Hurt Jane Fonda movie. Yep. He also, she also did uh, North Dallas 40, which we've talked about quite a yes. bit. Yes. And Cloak and Dagger. And these are all uncredited writing jobs. I don't, she wasn't like blackballed or anything. She just, she just wrote the kind of stuff that wouldn't normally be ignored Unless it was a man that wrote it, all those the old days in Hollywood, right? Man, it's just like uh, it's like just one of the guys. Yeah. Now, her brother Ned Dowd, he played minor league isn't hockey. Like, isn't like Buddy though. No. <laughs> Ned Dowd actually co-produced this movie, um, but based on what happened with him as a minor league hockey player, is how she had the idea for Slapshot. Yeah, 
she's written quite a bit of stuff and things that like we have known about for years. And like, when you, when you turn around and look at it, it was weird too, but to see her name come up when it did. And I'm like, what the hell? Another one that she, we've talked about, but no, we haven't covered yet. Was Swing Shift the first movie that Kurt and Goldie did together? I think so. Yes. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. she was credited as Rob Morton again, another, another pseudonym <laughs> for this. She had a nice little, a nice little window of time. White Knights. I don't want to ignore that too. She, this is a woman that, who, this it just proves the point though. Writing doesn't matter if you're male or female. You can write a movie like this and not be looked at as, you know, I don't know. Who knows? She could have been blackballed. I don't know. Um, also, she spent some time on SNL in the 80s. So there you go. Right. This movie, we feel like it, we were talking about it previous to this months and months and months ago when, when that Blu-ray was announced. This is this is one of those movies that is when you start watching it, you start remembering little things about it. Oh, yeah. The setup is, is super simple. Richard Dreyfus plays a cab driver who's a, a gambler. He's He's got a problem with gambling. And it's affecting his marriage quite a bit to Terry Gar, his wife, Pam. Now, is this the first movie they've done together since Close Encounters? At least. I would say, yeah, I, I think so. A long yeah, time. I mean, it's a long it, time. It, it's what? definitely, yeah, it's their first movie together since Close Encounters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're super funny together. And I, I, and when you see it, it's kind of fun to think about it, that they're the take, hey, you know, Richard Dreyfus, he came back. He came back there for his, his spaceship ride. And this is, he's a gambler now. Right. He's, he's, he was wrecked and he, but he, he reconciled with Terry Gar and their kids got lost. Yeah. Um, somewhere, on, in somewhere on devil's tower. Yeah. Uh, that was the, that's what he had to do. He had to trade, they had to trade the kids in for him. Back. Take the kids. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> Honey, I'm home. Uh, you know, dude, this is a really, this is like during that run too. you know, I think we talked about it before we've talked about drivers, but this is like, you know, that run that sort of started like 86 with down out in Beverly Hills and, you know, you know stand by me, Tin Men, Nuts, the stakeout movies, Moon Over Parador, which I know we've talked about because we're going to cover one day. I mean, dude, they went right into Always and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I mean, dude, Dreyfus was in fucking everything. Yep. For yep. about 10 years. <laughs> yep. I mean, this is, and this is like his second run because he had that great run in the 70s. Right. You know, and dude, this is such a good performance by Dreyfus. And he really, literally carries the movie. He's in yeah. like every scene. Yeah. The run that he had in the 70s after Jaws, like we talked about, was more like the the award fair, the stuff, kind right. of stuff that got the attention of Oscars and Golden Globes and SAGs. The stuff that that resurgence was, he was just a crowd favorite and an audience favorite and people would flock to see us. But you're right, this window of time was just, if you want a successful comedy, yeah, you put the dude in your movie yep, and you would draw people out. But this was a fun one I, to play a guy that's kind of down and out. And we can introduce really quickly about what kind of person he is in this movie playing Jay Trotter. You, you start find out really quickly what he's like. He's not a successful gambler. He's a, he is that stereotypical down on his luck gambler who never hits anything based on the people he has surrounding him. <laughs> he's just more of the same from different walks of life, but everybody that's around him that hangs out with him at the bar in between races and before races, you let you know really quickly who he is and who he hangs out with. And the introduction to David Johansson in this really sets the bar of those kinds of friends. He's a cab driver, just like Jay. And he's, he's recording all of his passengers. Yes. The entire time he's recording to audio tape for whatever reason, just for shits and giggles. Jay and Looney were, are hanging out in between, you know, like when I guess I say Looney was on a break and he's playing this tape for him that he just recorded. 
And uh, you won't believe what these guys, these guys are talking, this guy and this girl, and the girl puts a pillowcase over her head. <laughs> he's only listening to it for the freaky deaky sex stuff that happens. But while he's playing it back, Trotter hears something. And he hears something about a big score. He goes, play that back. I don't care about the woman with the pillowcase on their head. Play that back. And that's what sets Jay off was this little tidbit about that was something that's going to be happening at the track the next day. Actually, that morning, because it was already after midnight, they even make a comment about it Saturday. It happens on Saturday. Right. It's a great setup, insider trading, if you will, for such a thing. And If there is such a thing at the track. Yes. And this is why I, I'm going to go ahead and say it now, like you were mentioning before we got on mic. You want a, you want a double bill? You want a nice double feature? This and a fine mess. There you go. Yep. Pop <laughs> these two movies back to, or, or you can throw in Hot to Trot and go for a triple feature. There you go. And by the way, Hot to Trot's a fun one because there's a, there's a horse in this name, Hot to Trot. And if you haven't seen the movie, you'll get there. Yeah. There's kind of a lot of, there's kind of a lot of crossover references. Not that they have anything to do with each other, no. but you, you'd be like, wait, did <laughs> what, what the hell is going on here? This is one of those, I mean, Dreyfus is the, by far the star of this movie, but dude, there are a lot of scene stealing aspects and oh, a lot yeah. of people stealing scenes in this movie. And, and I think we'd be so before we got on the mic, dude, if you want to see every character actor from the 1980s in one movie, they're in this one. Yep. We were talking about sisters with, uh, with Nancy Dowd, famous sisters. I mean, Jennifer Tilly, this is maybe the second thing I'd ever seen Jennifer Tilly in. Like, you know, yeah. I, I was way more familiar with Meg because Meg had had, a, Meg had, had um, bigger success and been nominated for an Oscar for Agnes of God. And she'd been in the uh, big chill. Uh, but D Jennifer Tilly, dude, is fucking great in this movie. Yep. I mean, outside of her role in Bound, this might be my favorite performance from Jennifer Tilly. Yep. The funny thing is, which I did not realize until this very day, about two hours ago when I was watching the movie, Jennifer Tilly is the older sister of Meg Tilly. I yeah. always thought she was the younger sister. I don't know why. There was, a, I forgot what point in my life that epiphany hit me too. That Jennifer Tilly that, that you know, the one that she kind of plays on that, 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 that I don't want to say ditzy. She's a smart ditz. That's kind of what, yeah. my, what my dad would have called her. And she kind of plays on that too later on in, in the, the, the Chucky series and Child's Play series where she just kind of plays on that. But of course she's a murderous serial killer in that, but <laughs> right. I mean, you, it, it's neat seeing the infancy and the beginning of her playing that kind of character and then carrying that through her career. And of course, you know, she's, she's involved with the new TV series for Chucky. It's going to be on sci-fi this fall, which I'm looking forward to. If you haven't seen a trail yet, check it out. It's pretty great. But as far as like you mentioned character actors, Alan Garfield's in it playing her boyfriend. Dude, and Alan Garfield, <laughs> I was going to, I was just going to say, dude, I love Alan Garfield and yeah. everything. And he kind of, dude, he's a scene stealer in this movie. Yeah. The, I mean, if it not, if not just for that jacket he's wearing. Yes. <laughs> uh, but almost every, everything out of his mouth is fucking hilarious. And I, I didn't realize he passed away in 2020 from COVID. Yeah. Well, I think it happened when we were going to talk about it, but it had, we didn't hit it till it was like maybe that 10 days old. We yeah. He'd already been passed on for like about a week before it got out to the trades. But yeah, that was one of those ones where you're just kind of like, oh man, he's so great in this. Everybody, like he's hanging out in the, in the players club, right? Just that's where you that's where you meet uh, Vicky Jennifer Tilly's character and Greenberg, her boyfriend that Alan Garfield plays, where Jay gets bumped up to go hang out in that in that special area where all the rich people hang out. He gets this because he runs into the guy who was in the back of Looney's cab earlier that the night before Friday night, where he found out about the plan of whatever. I think it's so great because they never say what it is. They never say what it is that's going to set everything Dude. in motion. 
And I love it too, because it's a total MacGuffin. Yeah. It doesn't even matter what it is. It doesn't matter. And you realize that every step of the way after that first win, it was just that today was the day that the powers that be were going to bless Jay Trotter with the day he's been looking for, for all his life. Right. If you've seen the movie, you know what, I know how it ends, right? (laughs) Right. But you're still like wondering, is this really going to end this? Is he, he can't, yeah. he can't, Yeah, he, he's not that lucky. He's not in, you know, so uh, without blowing the end for people who haven't seen it, yeah. it's uh, yeah, man, it, you do. There's, and there's so many, like, like, again, this is a f- character actor, smorgasbord dude, Cynthia Nixon. What is this? Like her third movie? Yeah. And <laughs> she's fucking, a baby in it. Dude, she looks like she's about 14. Right. One of the ones that I always forget about. I mean, I always forget is as Richard Dimitri is in dude, this. Dude, Tony Cheeseburger. I was just going to say, dude, <laughs> dude, that scene where he comes up and he's fucking, fucking going on about the number four horse. It yeah. fucking kills me every time. Yeah. It's so good. It's, it, it's super funny. It, it, it's like, he's got the crazy mullet. And now, now we're only in like, what? We're probably like four or five years removed from Johnny Dangerously. If yes. we're playing Roman Maroney. Talk about a scene stealer and that, and Johnny Dangerously would, where you have so many standout comedic performances in that. And if, and he always stood out for me in that. Oh yeah. And no different than this too. And it, it, the moments where he shows up is just gold. And it's just like, you know, you know, this quick little interjection of energy. He's there to kind of raise the bar. And that says a lot too, when you guys got like, you have like David, guys like David Johansson in there and, and moments in there where Dreyfus is just, he keeps amping up. He's elevating. Like he, when he, when he keeps winning and he gets to the point where he plateaus, he realizes no matter what happens the rest of the way, right? I know what's going on today. And he's less, so he's not surprised anymore. Right. By the win. Yeah. His performance is very nuanced. It's funny yes. because at one point, you know, you're like, oh, it's just, I've seen this dry, you know, but he reaches that point where he like levels out and then, then everyone else is kind of like, you know, going nuts and and he's just like, I'm going to let it ride. Yeah. It's such a, a gorgeous movie. And again, I, I feel like we're, we're going to, it's easy for us to lean on all the character actors because they just surround everybody in the movie. And, you know, Ralph Seymour, right? Playing Cynthia Nixon's boyfriend. Yep. Richard Edson, dude, the guy who yep. stole Ferris Bueller's car. Yep. <laughs> or Cameron's dad's car. Yeah, it's so good. And he's, who does he remind you of in this particular movie as far as the way he speaks? Um, oof. Turturro? I'm trying to figure out who he reminds me of. He, I, it was something that we, he, it was the way he said it, his certain cadence that he doesn't normally have in his movies. And I'm it just, I wasn't making, I mean, I'm, I'm not questioning you because I have an answer because I don't, I don't recall. I was just no, hoping you would fill in the blank there for me. I, well, it's funny because I, I felt like he kind of sounded like not John Turturro, but maybe Nick Turturro. He just, he doesn't have, because usually, do it's funny, when I see him, I only think of like, hey, man, you can trust. That. <laughs> I mean, I just hear that Ferris Bueller bit. And, uh, and but he's, you know, he's a face you've seen in a million things, dude. And he's so good in this. And there's a scene involving his shoes in this, which literally makes me fucking piss my pants when I see it every time. You know what I'm talking about if yep. you've seen it. Yep. But I mean, dude, we've got, we got Richard Edson. Dude, we got fucking Robbie Coltrane. Right. Dude, and this is probably, I want to say this is maybe the first time I'd ever seen Coltrane. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'd seen him in one of those other Brit comedies, like, you know, one of those Michael Palin or uh, Eric Idle kind of nuns on the run kind of thing. Maybe I, maybe I don't know if this was before. I think this is right before nuns on the run, but 
Dude, Robbie Coltrane is great in this. Dude, his, tell me, his American accent kills, dude. Dude, I mean, look, here's the thing. I think I saw this before. I didn't realize he was English until, you know, I'd seen him in some more stuff later on. I want to say, like, the, the, I think the first thing I really saw him in, I mean, I, you know, I, mean, I knew him from other things like Crawl and, and you know, like you talked about, I think he's in European Vacation also. Yes. Um, but he is, I think Cracker was the first thing I ever saw, like, a lot of him. Oh, yeah, dude. I was just going to say, I loved Cracker. Dude. dude. But Crack, I mean, this is, but Cracker's well after this, right? Well, I mean, only, only a couple of years. Only a couple of years. Well, but, it started, but that thing went on forever, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cracker went on to like 2006. But I, but I think it was, I think it was being able to see him more and more in that role. And then, you know, I, I, I think it's probably like the second or third season of Cracker when I was watching it before I realized that. <laughs> who he was i'm like wait that's hagrid holy shit how come i never made that connection before yeah yeah I mean, he's in mona lisa too right he's in either oh, mona yeah. lisa or the long yeah it's mona lisa yeah, yeah right he's wonderful in this and he i mean he's probably in it just as much as johansson he he in i would say maybe more because johansson disappears for like long periods of time but when you get to the end and all of these people that have been around this kind of place, knowing that the bottom line is most people do not have success, any long-term oh, no. success anyway, at the track. And when you get to that moment in the third act at the very end, when everybody's just kind of like, just let them have it, you know, <laughs> it was perfect. If I'm spoiling this, I apologize, but the first race that he had using his inside information. The only time he ever used the inside information, the rest of the time he goes on intuition, but the first one ends in a photo finish. And so does the last race. And I thought that was so perfect because you, you, you right away, you're going, he's not going to win it this time. He's not going to. And it's just so perfectly set up because he's already resigned to the fact like, Look, I came out ahead of this already, right? <laughs> I came out totally. ahead because I got a nice necklace for my wife and, and we're connected again. And that's that. Wait, win or lose, man. Win or lose. Yeah. It's so, see, that's another thing, too, is the, and the cast is always, that, I wanted to point out something, too, when we we're talking about, uh, about Alan Gar Garfield. And he's, like you said, he's so boisterous in this. And, I got all the money. Well, I feel what's the point of having money if you can't spend it? You know, and letting people know you have the money. All that whole, the whole boisterous thing usually comes from people that don't have a lot of money. Right. And uh, maybe he had, he just does have him some money. But when I think it might've been the second or third race that Dreyfus wins and he comes back to the club and he just said, you could have told us about the number three horse. You could have told us about the number three horse. <laughs> yeah. And everybody was just so broken hearted that, that why don't you? That's that. That's the code, man. You're supposed to share that. Yeah, I thought that was just such a fun little moment there from him because you got to see, just like we talked talk before, two sides of a coin, the polished coin on both sides, but the one side is always a little, little less shiny than the other, and that's what you get. You get both. You don't see that a lot in the movie, but Garfield right. sees. You get to see both from him. Coltrane, though, you actually see an arc with Coltrane, just like you see with Trotter. Yep. Because Coltrane's been seen, he's seen it all, man. He just seen the dregs of society drag their ass in here and throw the harder money away, chasing after a dream of, of a score, you know, chasing the dragon, if you will, when it comes to gambling. Right. I mean, I was, I'm going to throw this at the, my two favorite 
Alan Garfield roles outside of this one are, you know, we all know him as Chief Lutz from Beverly Hills Cop yep. 2. Mm-hmm. But he's in the little scene, an underappreciated Nick Nolte film, Teachers. Love Teachers. Dude, he's so good in it. You know, and that that is, I think, the movie that probably put him on the map for me. Like in my, like, oh, that guy's fucking good. Yeah. Was Teachers. Because, you know, I saw Teachers when I was 14. It was one of those weird teen movies that was so kind of adult. It was adult, but it was it was real. It it wasn't a John Hughes. It, w- it wasn't the John Hughes approach to teen movies. You know, it was based in reality, and some of it was ugly, and some of it was some of it. it dude, it felt real to me. And 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 he's so great in it as one of the teachers uh, are are brought into you know swear they're you know. Uh, I don't want to get into the plot of teachers until, until if, if we ever covered it. So I don't want to go too far, but it, it's, a, that's the movie that put him on the map for me was teachers. And then yeah. of course, yeah. know, chief, chief Lutz, he became the, the, <laughs> the butt of all uh, Axel Foley's jokes. Yes. Cop too. <laughs> but, but he did it in stride. Right. <laughs> this is one of those movies, like, and I know lately we've been kind of covering things that that we kind of have to skirt certain moments in there not to to ruin them because I think we've been picking movies that that haven't been seen by a lot of people or they haven't been seen in so long. Look, we, we both have seen this this movie at least two or three times each. And I don't oh, think yeah. that's an, I don't know, I'm just throwing a low number out there because I didn't ask you ahead of time. But this movie has those moments where even though we've seen those movies half a dozen times, it's like, oh shit, I forgot about that. Oh shit, I forgot right. about that. Just like the movie that that Joey and I covered, that'll be out next week, where it was like uh, you had picked it for us, and like yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I haven't seen that in a long time, and it's been long enough for me. And Joey hasn't seen it at all, and love the shit out of it. And it, it was the same situation where I got reminded about things as it was happening. That I mean, it was Smorgasbord August, but that kind of seems to work, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, why not? Uh, you know, August is one of those months, you know, like we said before, there's not even a real holiday. In no. So you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, th- this is a, this is a movie that like you think, okay, there's not really a star in it other than Dreyfus. I mean, Terry Gar, sure. But I mean, Terry Gar wasn't like, you know, somebody who would bring, you know, was breaking in people to the box office. I mean, I remember, you know, early eighties, Tootsie, Mr. Mom, and then she kind of disappeared for a bit. She had that great bit in After Hours. But, you know, she's not, but they're really the two names, right? If you look at the uh, credit, you know, if you look at the cast, they're like, you're like, okay, Gar and Dreyfus. That, that kind of seems like it could, would have pulled people in. The rest of the cast, dude, some of the best character work, the faces on these people, background, everyone, dude, is there a movie that's more like 1980s Miami than this movie? That's not a night. My, and it's not my, it's not the Miami vice Miami no. that you that, you know, that everybody thinks about when, I mean, man, dude, is, is there a face in here that doesn't belong? I mean, dude, this, I mean, yeah. Seamus, everybody, I mean, and Dreyfus, Dreyfus, this might be the only movie where Dreyfus is the most handsome person in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I don't mean that like, you know, he's not, I'm just saying like Dreyfus is the less character looking guy in this movie. Right. 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 And it's just a lot of fun. It, again, it's, it's kind of like in the vein of teachers, it's about real people in a real moment and the kind of loony weird shit that goes on you know, in a day at the track. And I love that. I love stories that are, uh, that all take place in one day. And this is one day. And that's, what's perfect about it. It's like it, it, the perfect day. 
it is perfect. It's the perfect day. The moment he finally hears that, that the bell ring, if you will, by hearing that moment of the tape, it was like, oh yes. And we always talk about the music and, and the, the, the cinematography. This one is super simple. It's almost TV movie. Like it, it almost like you could get away with this movie for three. And it is shot very much with that idea. It's like a one eight five, but it really is shot intentionally of, for VHS of, Everything is perfectly centered. You're not you're not seeing very wide aspects to anything. But that was interesting though is uh, Curtis Weir is the DP on this, and most of his work is done in television. We talked recently about Terriers. He did every episode of Terriers. Yep. And uh, and but he also did CSI Miami, which <laughs> we're going to talk about Miami. There you go. His he does exactly what's needed here. I mean, I think it's for a guy that kept his feet pretty well depth in. And television work, it seems like a television movie in that respect, which is great. But on the music side of things, you got somebody that's not TV. You got Giorgio Moroder dangling the score in this. And the score for him, it's it's weird. Not weird as in like you're used to his Top Gun score over the top or like Midnight Express. But for, he usually doesn't get a chance to have fun with something. And this is his fun movie, if you will. He usually has things that are far more serious and his cues are far more dramatic. But for here, it's just whimsical and it just sells the whole movie once. But it's not until you get to that point where you realize that Dreyfus isn't going to lose. Maybe after the second race where he just kind of has that. Maybe the third race, he's like, you know, I'm not losing anything today. This is going to be the best day ever. And he just keeps going. And that's where you hear the music just stay that the course the rest of the way. Dude, and I love the way they incorporate the uh, fucking stubby K fused for tin horns from yeah. guys and dolls yes. <laughs> into the movie. It just kind of creeps right in there and and you literally find yourself like kind of weirdly bobbing your head to it and like, wait, we stop that. This movie seems like watching it now, it, it's exactly like those when they were making movies for cable, like, you know, uh, yeah. things like Slow Burn starring uh, Rainbow Drive starring Peter Weller. Uh, it is shot like that, right? Like everything's center frame. Nothing is, you know, the camera work's not overly fancy, but it, it's good. But literally, they're just letting the actors do all the lifting. Yep. Which is fine because it's that kind of movie. Exactly. This is the kind of movie they were making around this time. It wasn't uncommon. I think it's probably why maybe the movie didn't didn't grab audiences and like at least uh, didn't do big box office. Even though because Dreyfus was a draw at that time, it just was one of those movies that felt like, like I said, if, it feels something like you would have seen when HBO and Showtime were, were starting to do their own original movies more frequently, mm-hmm. which is fine. They did not not a knock because I mean, who could have foreseen HBO and Showtime now being these forces of original television like they are now? almost 30 years ago when they started doing this and they're the, and they still keep just killing it. Yeah. This is one of those movies that would be right at home. Like you said, with those kinds of films and you can't watch this movie and not be completely in. Dude, this is another shaggy dog movie. Yeah. We should have just called this shaggy dog. (laughs) Shaggy dog dog August. (laughs) You know, it's funny too, because the movies that we're covering this month, I think this, I mean, so far anyway, this is the movie that probably did the least box office. Oh, yeah. Even though everybody I've talked to over the years, have you ever seen Let It Ride? They don't remember the name of it. And I say, well, Richard Dreyfuss is a, is a racehorse gambler. Oh, yeah. Right. People have seen it, but you have to remind them about it. You have to remind them it's not hot to try or <laughs> a fine mess. Right. It's the same kind of thing with Matchstick Men where you don't, you know, have I seen that? It's the name that throws people off. Because honestly, when you search for Let It Ride in Google, you know what comes up first? The casino game. Yeah. 
that's the key thing that comes up first. It's not even the movie, even though the movie predates that, that, that table game in the, in the casinos, but let it ride presently on Paramount plus. If you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a long time, revisit it. Cause it is a fucking joy. And I got a thing, man, I'm putting this on my list of things as a reminder when I'm having a shitty day and I needed something just kind of like, you know what? It's just a day, dude. Yeah. And he, it's so easy for one day to just turn right around. It's just one day. Dude, one day can turn everything around. And that's kind of the, you know, that's the moral of the story, right? Like yeah. this dude's life's going, I mean, but it's, it's just the one day, you know? Yeah. And that's really kind of something that, you know, I think people should look at and hold on to, man. Like, doesn't matter with the 30 days you just got through, yep. you know, there's one, there's always going to be a good one that will turn things around. Right. And considering what you've been living through for the last 18 months. Correct. Fucking A, man. <laughs> Put this in the top of the list of things to watch. And you know what? Yes, there's a little bit of dicey PG 13 E moments in there, like we talked about. A lot of cross shots <laughs> with Jennifer Tilly. Um, I, real quick trivia about that. You know, in the script, when she falls over, when she tackles Trotter after he has that big win, yep. her breasts were supposed to pop out. And she kind of talked it over with Joe and they kind of like, do we need to do that? Look at the dress I'm already wearing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> do we need to go there with that? It's like putting a hat on a hat at that point. Right. Because you have a movie that's going to be far less accessible to anybody the second you slap an R rating on there. And as soon as you get that happening, you could get away with showing the bare breasts and get your PG-13, but not in the way it was used. But look, here's the thing. What I would say, even as like, I was 19 when I saw this movie, even at 19, dude, it's okay, man. I'd already seen boobs. Uh, I'm just saying like, it's way hotter that they didn't. That dress, dude, that dress looks like it was spray painted on her. Anyway, leave a little to the imagination, man. It's fine. It works for me. I mean, I was watching it tonight, you know, watching it last night. And I was like, Damn, she looks right? freaking hot, dude. Right. Now, look at this. Okay, we talked earlier about Nancy Dowd being the the, the writer to the adaptation for from uh, Jay Cronley's book. I'm wondering, did because she uses all these male pseudonyms, do you think she wrote that in there to kind of sell it as a dude writing it? Maybe. It almost seems like that kind of a move that you would have to do to kind of sell the point that this is not a, a female writer. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Does yep. this qualify as a sports movie? Fucking A. Consider, especially, <laughs> especially with Nancy being the writer. We haven't covered many sports movies. That's no, no. And like just what I'm talking about, when, when, with Nancy being the writer of Slapshot of North Dallas 40. Yeah. And even though those are sports movies, are they? <laughs> right. You know? It's more about the people in there that happen to be playing sports. It's the same thing with this. This happened. This is a movie about a guy who goes to track and yeah, you know, I know people have argued for years is horse racing, even a sport, eh, whatever it's considered a spot to be a sport by many. So yes. And all considering right. the by writer, default. I'm all, I'm all for that. Even if you were to pair this up with, with her other uh, film Slapshot, it fits in a lot of ways, but Oh yeah, totally. It feels, that's another thing too about this. You pointed out the, about the feeling of the movie. This movie feels like it's 10 years, like it would have fit 10 years earlier. They could have, you could have dropped it yep. in 1978 and it would have worked. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's wonderful. Everybody, there, there's not one performance and then you kind of go, oh, this guy again. You yeah. Know? No, not at all. It, it's super fun. Just like with Jay Trotter's day, everything works perfectly in favor of the day of the movie in this case. Yeah. Watch it, damn it. If you haven't seen it, 
I want to like chase after that imprint next. I want to see if what extra stuff is on there. And I realize I need to own this silly ass movie. Yep. But I had kind of put it off because, you know, coming out here, I don't have any way to look at it anyway. And then, you know, I was like, oh, it's on Paramount Plus. So, but after watching it, I definitely, I'm going to buy it because I I need to know what else is on there. There, I know there's got to be some great stuff. This is another one of those movies that I'm just going to kind of push at people and say, look, man, if you're looking for something out of the fucking ordinary to watch, check this movie out, man. It's, you know, and it's one of Dreyfus's best performances in that run of, of yeah. movies. Dude, I love Down and Out in Beverly Hills. I, and I, do, I love always. Men. I love always. I love it, love it, love it. And he's and he's the he's the perfect kind of Dreyfus in that. He, he You get to see him. He's got an arc in it because he's that snarky. Dreyfus that we're used to seeing him play like he's is and yeah. what about Bob? But then he has to change. And right. this is this is the uh thing about Let It Ride is it's just he gets to be that we don't have to see the down on down on their luck. Right. Jay Trotter. We get to see him on the upswing. 30 seconds into the movie, we get to see him on his upswing and realizing things are about to change for him for the better. And it's pretty great. Yeah, man. It's a fun movie. Like, check it out. It's on Paramount Plus. If you already have it, it's not going to cost you anything. Nope. And if you want to stick out that Blu-ray, it is in print. Just as a, a reminder about what's extra on there. It's a brand new 1080p uh, high def restoration from Paramount Pictures themselves. So maybe we might see Paramount Pictures down the line do it as well. It's also got an audio commentary from Scott Harrison, which is brand new for 2020. And this is cool. This is, seems to be the only extra on the entire thing aside from the commentary is there's an interview with Joe Pekka from 2020 called Directing Let It Ride, The Finish Line. By Vigo. <laughs> Vigo. And it's in, and he's introduced by Peter McNichol. <laughs> oh, Vigo. <laughs> if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at Karate Pod, or on Instagram, it's at Karate Pod as well. If you want to follow us on Letterboxd, that's Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support the show on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me, you could follow me at Vigo the Conqueror on Letterboxd. That's Vigo the Conqueror on Letterboxd. Or not. Oh, it's Vigo the Carpathian. That guy too. Vigo the Carpathian (laughs) on Letterboxd. That's Vigo the Carpathian, a.k.a. Tom Cody on Letterboxd. I got to say, though, I thought Vigo was... I thought Vigo was played by somebody else. I thought he was played by some European dude. No, he is. I just I say they just modeled them. I think oh, yeah. they just modeled that <laughs> painting after uh, after, after Joe. Joe. <laughs> I mean, dude, it hung in the Sony prop house forever. I was just want to establish that just so people don't think we're we're both stupid. Oh well, they know we're both stupid. Well, so what's for the this, what's the, oh, oh yeah, for that you mean? Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, and I also want to add there too. Max Van Saito was the voice of Vigo because I mentioned earlier he was overdubbed. That's who he was overdubbed by. Yes. So there you go. Anyway, Vigo, Vigo the, the Carpathian. Carpathian.